Welcome to Sports and Stogies. Now, introducing your hosts, Cameron Winklewitz and Austin Hayes. Pull up a chair, pour up a drink, and light that cigar. It's time for a very special interview episode of Sports and Stogies. Cam, tell us who we have with us here today. Well, welcome back to Sports and Stogies, everybody. Today with us we have Sean Brown and uh, Morgan Watt. Watt. Uh, One, Sean Brown, you are the director of philanthropy. So I'm the associate director of philanthropy at Southeastern Guide Dogs, uh, also a service dog graduate. Uh, don't let my boss hear that director of philanthropy. She might feel <laughs> upset about that, but no, she's awesome. It's her birthday today as we're recording today, so if she hears this, shouts out to Larissa. Happy birthday. Yeah, uh, happy but, birthday, Larissa. Yeah. And then, Morgan, you are a veteran who is also a recipient of the guide dog. Yes. Uh, I had uh, service dog Foley <clears throat> uh, from uh, January of 2015 all the way until last Monday. I just retired him. And I'm really excited because my new dog is coming in two weeks. Now, a little nervous for your first trip up here without a dog by your side? I feel absolutely naked. Like, I I was walking through the airport terminal completely naked, and I could just tell my anxiety level was so much higher because I just didn't have that constant contact I've had for the last eight and a half years. Eight and a half years is a long time. Everywhere I went. Yeah, eight and a half years is a long time. I can definitely see how you feel naked. I mean, even just people with normal pets after about eight and a half years, you know, you get to that those health issues with dogs, and you know, you get to the unfortunate part where you got to put them down, and it's like you get home from work, and there that dog's not running up to you, and it's kind of almost a lonely feeling too. There's definitely a lot of loneliness, a little bit of grief. You know, it's bittersweet with a new dog coming, and and of course, fully staying with me. So, uh, he's going to retire in style. So, first thing we want to cover is your guys' individual personal stories, which, of course, I cannot wait to hear again in person tomorrow at our event. But um, whichever you guys want to go first with your background. Go ahead. Sure. Go ahead. Yours now. All right. So, let me, let, me pull, let me pull this microphone this way a little bit. Here we go. All right. So, uh, I served in the U.S. Army, did seven years. Uh, come from a military family. My dad did 28 and a half years. My mom did 14 years. Uh, both medically retired. Um, so military was the furthest thing that they wanted me to do. Uh, but I ended up in, uh, I was a geospatial engineer, so military intelligence for the United States Army. Uh, did a lot of fun stuff, saw a lot of fun things. Uh, but I live with post-traumatic stress. Um, I live with a dead spot on the left side of my brain. Uh, I've had, I got degeneration in my spine, um, plus multiple issues, including I've had nine total surgeries on my left knee, including a total knee replacement. Um, I found myself out in a community of Savannah, Georgia when I got out of the military because I was part of the 3rd Infantry Division. And I was living and fighting and struggling with all of these things and hiding everything behind a mask because nobody would hire me full-time, so I was working multiple part-time jobs just to get by. Uh, I was not, They weren't bad jobs, and everybody will tell you they were great jobs, but they got the bills paid. I was DJing in nightclubs. I was on the radio in Savannah, Georgia, which you wanted at the throwback station. Um, I was DJ. I was the DJ and first broadcast voice for the Savannah Bananas baseball team. Um, I was the voice for all the Savannah, uh, Savannah State University Tigers athletics programs. I was busy, but I couldn't show my struggles that I was dealing with to the public because, one, they didn't care. Two, they wanted the product. And three, I had to smile the whole time. So I lived my life behind a mask. Uh, the only thing that let me take the mask off was my Harley-Davidson motorcycle. I literally rode everywhere I could as much as I could. 
Um, there would be days when I'd be riding and crying, riding and screaming, riding and laughing for no reason. Um, and that was my crutch. Uh, but I've had, I had all those surgeries on my left knee. And one day I got to a stoplight and my knee gave out. And I knew I had to get off my bike because before I hurt myself or somebody else. And, and I sold my Harley Davidson. Hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I've done a lot of tough stuff. That was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, but I sold my bike and immediately it was like everything that I was fighting and hiding took over. Um, and, you know, long story short, you know, we, I got to the point that many of us hit as, as veterans and that fork in the road where you either got to make a decision or you become a statistic. And uh, for me, it was my, my daughter had just been born, which I always love to say, uh, you know, she was two months at the time. Now she's six, about to turn seven, going on 70. Um, <laughs> but um, my wife was, was feeding her naturally. And I had read all the self-help books, you know, how to be a dad for dummies and, all, you know, all the, the good stuff that we all read, you know, all the YouTube videos. And I knew what my wife needed to eat and, and to do to, so that way she was providing all the nutrients. And we got into a discussion over her eating green beans. The discussion turned into a debate. Debate turned into an argument. Argument turned into a trigger moment where I picked up the remote control to the TV in our bedroom and threw it into the wall so hard that it stayed there. Uh, first, shout out to Comcast for a strong remote. Yeah, but, for sure. Um, literally, my, I turned around and seeing the look on my wife's face, and she said, you need to get some help. Um, that moment I'll never forget in my life because I had become exactly what I didn't want to become. You know, being active duty, you always hear about uh, those the crazy veterans. You hear about, oh, well, the guy got out and did this or went crazy or you know ended up in jail. I didn't want to be that guy. That day, at that specific moment, I was taking 16 pills a day from the VA. I weighed over 285 pounds, and I was quickly disconnecting from my family. Uh, it was the, the climax of so many things that have come together to create the, the, the beast, as you could say, um, that I was fighting. She said, uh, we need to get some help, and we started looking. Uh, it was around that time we started seeing you know, the, the peacocks in the airports and people taking advantage of the ADA laws, which we can definitely talk about today as well. We, we experienced that just this morning trying to fly here. Um, but uh, we knew service dog would be the best because we saw that service dogs were helping veterans take less medication, get back in their communities, and accomplish goals and accomplish dreams. Um, but I needed the dog from the best. I didn't want to be on a Twitter. I didn't want to be on a Facebook group in the news because my dog had, had urinated in the airplane or, or ate somebody's food in the grocery store. I needed the best. Uh, we started doing a lot of research. We found Southeastern Guide Dogs, and it has been magic ever since I applied to Southeastern Guide Dogs. Um, I came and got my first service dog, Pella, in 2018, and she changed our lives. And I, I say our lives because it was, wasn't just me. She saved my family. She saved my life. She saved my marriage. Um, she got us to the point where I went from working multiple part-time jobs to one full-time job, and I travel everywhere getting to share the mission, share the story, reach other veterans that need our assistance, and push the mission and story of Southeastern Guide Dogs. It's, it's been a journey that has been absolutely amazing, um, and we found so much success. You know, One of the big things that we always tell everybody is every chance we get, we haven't lost a single one of the veterans that received our dogs to the war against suicide. Out of everything we say, no matter where we go, that matters more than anything because it shows our program works. It shows our dogs work. It shows service dogs are saving lives. Um, the, the new phrase that we've kind of coined is if you can save a life, then you can affect change in a family. If you can affect change in a family, you can affect change in your community. If you can change your community, you can change the world. So we're changing the world of Southeastern Guide Dogs. 
uh, and I'm just happy to be a part of it. He led the way, though, of course. Morgan led the way. <laughs> now, I do want to ask, from getting your first guide dog to then joining the program yourself, how long was that transition period? So I received Pella in March of 2018. I came back six months later and spoke at an event called uh, Dining in the Dark, where you eat behind blindfold. Terrifying experience with PTSD, by the way. Um, but it was kind of fun. Which that doesn't even go in the same sentence together. How that works, I don't know. I came back a few months later and spoke at an event called the Heroes Breakfast, where um, I shared my story. I think you spoke that day too, didn't I you? Did. Um, and the next day, I was told our CEO would like to speak with you. Now, when you live with PTSD, you're immediately thinking the negative. I'm like, okay, who did I piss off? What did I say wrong in my speech? Did I use too much humor? Because I like to laugh. I, I, I can make everybody cry, but I want to make you laugh too, because laughter gets through sometimes better than crying. Um, and I, I walked in his office, and we sat down for about 30, 40 minutes, and he offered me my first full-time job at Southeastern Guide Dogs doing what I do now. I didn't even ask my wife if I could accept this job. There was no discussion about coming to work at Southeastern Guide Dogs. I sent a text from our CEO's office and said we're moving to Florida, and it's been magical. So, yeah. So that segues perfectly into a little more in-depth about Southeastern Guide Dogs since – you know, you've been doing it for, what, going on five years now? Going, almost five years. I, it's it's amazing. Um, I got to, side note, I got to reconnect with the Savannah Bananas when they came in town and DJed their their, uh, their game at Steinbrenner Field a few weeks ago. And I, I'd rather be at Southeastern Guide Dogs. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, 11,000 people. You know, we, we, we are providing world-class dogs to our brothers and sisters that have written that check that so many write um, and now live with what we all live with. Uh, PTSD affects everybody differently. Our struggles affect everybody differently, but these dogs are able to be uh, trained and created to be specific to the individual. So if you were to make Nick, my, my current service talking to a human, you'd have me standing here, two of me. If you make Pella into a human, you'd have me with a wig on standing right here in front of you. And it's, it's something that's really, really special about our program. It's not an assembly line. We're not, we don't use rescue dogs. Every dog that we have is born, bred, and genetically taken care of in our program. We have the brightest minds on our staff of a 76-acre campus now. 76, 66? It's growing. A big campus. Big. We just added another 33 acres. So um, it's amazing. And it's all happening at no cost. We get no government funding. Everything we do is off the backs of donations and hard work from guys like the Ohio Cigar Mafia. Uh, it's it's really really awesome. I'm gonna pass it to Morgan so I can tell my more so I can blow my nose. Perfect. <coughs> yeah, we'll cycle back to the guide dogs and, and how the OCM's involved. But I'd love to hear Morgan take the floor now and tell your personal story. Well, how do I follow that? Uh, <clears throat> such a professional out here with his uh, great uh, service dog Nick, who has been absolutely dead silent sitting next to us, perfectly behaved. So he's just like the model of what all these dogs coming out of Southeastern Guide Dogs are really all about. So let's see. Trying to figure out which story to tell, but I can start at the beginning. Uh, back when I was 18 years old, I didn't do too well in college. And so, you know, talking back and forth with my dad, who was all gung-ho about paying for college, and then all of a sudden threw a whole bunch of money away, said, you're on your own. I said, you know what? That's great. Uh, I'm going to go join the Air Force. I'm going to go see the world, and I'm just going to work my way through college that way. And so, of course, right after I signed up, 
Iraq invaded Kuwait. And I was sitting there thinking, wait a minute, I kind of signed up to see the world, and now I'm going to war. And that kind of shook me up a little bit. And of course, within days of the invasion, I got the call to get down to uh, Lockheed Air Force Base, Texas, and start training. And so, as I worked my way through basic training, uh, I didn't have a job yet. I didn't know what I was going to do. And so, um, I kind of went back and forth and chose security police. So I went to the Security Police Academy right after basic training at Lackland Air Force Base. And while I was there at Security Police Academy, they said, hey, do you want to be canine? And I thought, well, that sounds like fun. Let's do that. And so I went on to the Patrol Dog Handlers course right after that, and then on to a ground combat course up at Fort Dix, New Jersey. And uh, my first uh, overseas assignment was Kidding Air Base, Okinawa, Japan. Uh, big base, about 25,000 active duty troops. And uh, I started working a drug dog, which was a lot of fun, but I was also doing a lot of uh, patrol duties, first responder. And, you know, this was kind of a different twist of things. I thought I was going to be heading for Iraq or heading for Kuwait and, uh, you know, doing the combat thing. And what I ended up doing is the first responder thing and then eventually on to explosive detection. And so the whole rest of the time I was in the Air Force, I worked a bomb dog. And that was all about domestic terrorism. You know, you're up against the mad bomber. You had no idea from one minute to the next what you were walking into. But as canine, you were the first one in all the time. So um, would you like to hear the day in the life story or the first responder story? Uh, I'll let you take the helm on that one. They both sound, I mean, obviously are both going to be very either moving and intriguing or just moving and we're going to be sitting here crying. So, Well, this one won't make you cry. It might make you cringe. How's okay. that? That works. Summer of 1992, I had just gotten off a 12-hour shift from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., sleeping my way through the afternoon about 2 o'clock, phone rings. Morgan, we've got a credible bomb threat on the Freedom Bird, which was just about to take off. Now, the Freedom Bird was an old Flying Tigers 747 that had been reconfigured to hold 500 U.S. troops, and it was full. And it taxied back to the ramp, and they evacuated everybody off the airplane, and they called me, got me with my dog out there, and I said, Morgan, all right, this is your scene, clear it. And so all the bags were laid out half a mile down the tarmac, and the aircraft was mine. And I spent the next three and a half hours going through the entire aircraft, all the bags. And when I was in there, I didn't realize the chain of command, the on-scene commander, uh, showed up. And that happened to be the commander-in-chief of the Pacific Air Force as a four-star general. They just so happened to be in a meeting on our base, heard what was going on, was really concerned, and so he showed up and became the on-scene commander. So after about three and a half hours, I hadn't found anything. And it was driving me nuts because I was just thinking, this is a really big aircraft, there's a lot of luggage, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of lives at stake. Do I re did I really do everything that I could to make sure there was nothing on this aircraft? 
So I went back to the entry control point where the command or the uh, on-scene commander was, his four-star general, and I said, General, I said, I just spent the last three and a half hours clearing the entire aircraft, all the luggage, everything, personnel. It, it, I didn't find anything. And he looks at me. I'm an E-4, senior airman. He looks at me and he says, Morgan, or Airman Watt as it was, should I let this aircraft fly? And I sat there for a second and I kind of looked down at my shoulder with my three stripes on it and I was like, sir, it, it wouldn't that be your decision on this one? And he goes, listen, Airman, he started chewing me a new ass. He said, listen, Airman, you were the one in there. You, were, you saw everything. You need to make the final decision on this aircraft flies with 500 of our guys on it. And I was like, how long's that flight? He said, 10 hours. And I was like, shit. I was, I was terrorized. I was thinking, this is not a decision for senior. This is a decision for a four-star general. And so I said, sir, I'll let it fly. It's clear. I went back to the barracks. And what I understand now, I had panic attacks for the next 10 hours. I had no idea. No one ever told me what anxiety was back in those days. But I was, I was out of my mind. I, I was completely losing my mind. And that was just a very typical day as a bomb dog handler. You know, uh, I went from there uh, rotating back to upstate New York, and I spent the whole last year uh, working for the Secret Service with the presidential uh, bomb squad. And so you went from 500 troops to if something goes wrong, it could change the whole world order. And the stakes were really high. And so the hypervigilance that got just baked into my brain at that point were just, uh, it was normal. Everything, the anxiety, everything was just absolutely normal. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, Morgan, you're doing a great job. Here's a bunch of medals. Here's all these things. And, um, you know, I was just taking all those emotions and compartmentalizing them. Never let anyone see any emotion. Because if I had, that would have been the end of what I was doing. So I took all those uh, emotional compartmentalization skills and got my airline transport rating, all my ratings flying, and went on to be an airline captain for 20 years after that. And it's amazing at the similarities. The stakes are very high as a captain of a jet, you know, and... The hypervigilance just worked in great. Everyone's like, oh, my God, you're the best. You know, everything's fantastic. But I was having these meltdowns along the way, and I thought that was normal. Ten years ago, I started having uh, migraines. I didn't know they were migraines. I just thought something was going on in my head, and I started getting really bad vertigo. Well, at that point, I had to kind of tell the FAA, hey, I don't, I'm getting vertigo. I'm getting, you know, blurry vision. I'm getting all these crazy things. 
And they said, all right, we'll take some time off. Well, I went to the world's best doctors at the Mayo Clinic. And I spent the next year getting a workup at the Mayo Clinic. And at the end of that year, I ended up in neurology with some of the best doctors in the world. And they looked at me and they said, Morgan, you have chronic migraines. You have a chronic migraine. I've got a migraine right now. I've lived with it for 10 years. It won't go away. Uh, a lot of traumatic brain injuries along the way. Just, I was kind of an adrenaline junkie and helmets didn't even come in. There was no such thing as a helmet in the 80s, right? So, um, but the migraine is associated with a lot of traumatic brain injuries. And that ended my career. When the Mayo Clinic said, Morgan, we can't fix you, uh, your career's over. That was my passion. That was what I was living for. And it's amazing when you've done something like that and you've been called captain for 20 years that it's part of your identity. And when they got stripped away from me, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was married, two young kids, and uh, I just started drifting off into this depression. And then at that point, the migraines were getting so bad that I was in the emergency room once a week and I didn't know what to do um, and days got really dark there was about two straight years every single day I woke up I was like this is it I don't want to do this anymore hard to admit because I never I never thought I'd be in that position well, interestingly enough, at the Mayo Clinic, they also said, Morgan, you've got a, a layer upon layer of post-traumatic stress. And, uh, I mean, it goes all the way back to childhood. I didn't know what to do. You know, I started seeing a therapist, and, you know, he was talking at me, and at the end of the hour, I was walking out more pissed off than when I went in there and not feeling any better, and my head hurt, and, you know, all these things, and... I really wasn't getting anywhere. And my therapist finally said, Morgan, you need to get out of the house. The depression was so bad, I wasn't going anywhere. And I was like, okay. And I started looking around, and I was like, hey, you know, I love those canine days back in the Air Force. How about some dogs? That'll help. And I found Southeastern Guide Dogs, and I started going down there and volunteering in their kennels in little two-hour shifts. And... There was something about walking onto that campus down there that was so peaceful that all of a sudden I just felt like the depression starting to lift. And uh, it wasn't long after that my wife actually uh, interviewed and got hired on in philanthropy with Sean. And uh, she was actually the one that went and talked to them about me getting into the program with my own service dog. Well, now it's January 2015, and they said, Morgan, we have a dog for you. In came the most beautiful Goldador, and the Goldador is half golden, half lab. And so you get the most incredible mix because it's got the sensitivity of a golden, but the work ethic of a lab. And this dog turned in to be a game changer for me, and he absolutely saved my life, turned my life completely around, 
got me out of the house, you know, got me to the point where I'm actually able to come out here and be vulnerable. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of the most uncomfortable things. And right now without him right here, because he just retired, it's even more challenging. I feel like I'm hanging it all out there by myself. Um, but the change in me with that dog with me all the time, um, it just really brought me out and it, it actually connected me with a lot of other veterans that were in the same hole that I was in not, not long before that. And so I really kind of grabbed onto the whole mission with Southeastern Guide Dogs and, you know, continued on. Some people say, well, Morgan, you know, you've had a service dog for the last eight and a half years. Uh, where's it end, you know? And I can tell you that a service dog does not heal PTSD. In fact, after 10 years of dealing with trying to figure out how to fix it, I am not completely sure it can be fixed. However, with a dog, you can live with it so much better. And it makes every day better. Doesn't make it all go away. But it's like walking around with somebody holding up a mirror. And so when you start melting down with anxiety or something, this dog is right there responding to you and saying, hey, let's get the hell out of here. Let's go. You know, let's let's go for a walk. Let's decompress. Let's take a breath. So um, so I'm lined up for my next service dog. And I'm really looking forward to continue that mission and that bond with these dogs. Uh, do you still volunteer there? Uh, I do. Um, I try and come out uh, with uh, people like Sean, tell my story a little bit, and uh, tell them about the success of Southeastern Guide Dogs because I absolutely firmly believe in it. Uh, you know, it saved my life, Sean, and I can't tell you how many veterans in the program that I've talked to that will tell you the same thing. Yeah, and I mean, you're living proof that it works. Right. I mean, your testimony alone is enough to... I would hope get a couple more people and then their testament and that's all really all it comes down to you know there's no better advertisement than word of mouth and people's true experiences absolutely you know I, I firmly believe in it and uh, Southeastern Guide Dogs is very different than a lot of other service organizations because there's a lot of service dog or, uh, organizations that only treat post 9-11 they only treat combat veterans and me being a first responder and uh, non-combat and Gulf War era back in the 90s, uh, they wouldn't even talk to me. They wouldn't even talk to me at all. So, you know, all the uh, um, people getting out that are dealing with the uh, military sexual trauma, MST, um, Southeastern Guide says absolutely. I mean, post-traumatic stress is post-traumatic stress. We all have the same symptoms, even though all of our stories are completely different. It's all the same symptoms. It's crazy. So we've come a long way the past 20, 30 years with understanding mental health and PTSD. And you guys both touched on, you know, people get prescribed a lot of pills and therapy, and those things don't always work. But this, I keep coming back to the, the number you guys keep mentioning that of everybody who's gotten one of your guide dogs, you've not lost a single one, not a single one to suicide. Whereas you can't say that with pills and, and therapy and treatment like that. You know, the, the incredible thing about the pill system, and I won't, di I won't dive down the deep rabbit hole of the big pharma, uh, but 
a pill comes with a side effect, then you got to have a pill to fix the side effect, and then there's a side effect to that pill. So it's a cascading problem, um, and it just makes you become a zombie. You just become a shell of who you want to be, whereas a service talk opens up. You're able to have a confidant. You know, I, being military intelligence, I come home so many days, and I, what'd you do for work? Work? Well, what, you know, what'd you do? Work? What'd you have for lunch? Oh, yeah, I can tell you that. But it was just like, you lose who you are, and, and every time you deploy, you leave a piece of yourself out there as well. Um, when you're on your own, one of the things that we've learned, um, and it's a true testament, when you're in the military, you have a purpose every minute of every day. You have a mission, you have a purpose, you have something you're going to be doing. Even if it's going to check the line on the same trucks that haven't moved for three weeks, you have something to do. But when you get out, as much as we love to say we prepare our veterans for civilian life, we don't. And it is one of the biggest adjustments that so many veterans are struggling with. I've lost my own team members because they couldn't adjust. They didn't, they didn't have the access to the assistance that I was able to find. So that's why, as for me, that's why I push so hard to make sure that so many, as, as many veterans as possible can get access or at least knowledge of what's available to them. Uh, and it's not necessarily, not necessarily saying, okay, the VA is providing this because they're not. We don't get any government funding. Everything that we get is off the backs of donations. Uh, our free food that we get from From, it's $74 a bag. We don't pay a dime. Not a single recipient, no matter where you live in the continental United States. It's, it's a true testament to, uh, uh, as I'll put it this way, it's one of the things that um, our alumni and admissions office says is this is their way of, of truly thanking us for our service, actually putting actions to word. Uh, and that's what Southeastern Guide Dogs is doing across the country. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> uh, let alone like all the donations and stuff, the fact that you guys are fully funded off of donations and you have a 76-acre campus or minus or plus a plus few or acres minus an there. Plus acre, you know, yeah, um, close. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. And it just is. from what I've heard from Brian with the OCM about the campus itself being like a five-star hotel for dogs, essentially, with nothing but the best training classes, the best breed, the best genetics. The fact that that's fully donation-funded and then these dogs go out as gifts mm -hmm. and it's free of charge for everything. There's no bigger thank you. For your service, I mean that is purely action from everyone involved. It's it's really cool to be able to, you know, Brian said it best when we were eating on the way here. Um, he said you you pull onto our campus and it's like you pull into a JUCO campus or a junior college. Uh, you're it's a university environment from puppy days all the way up to you know freshman orientation when the trained dogs are coming back to pick their major. It's a university environment. These dogs select their careers just like we do. Some of them change their majors just like we do. It's, I mean, the the path that's put in place for these dogs, over 75% of them go into a career. They've got better stats than we do as humans when it comes to colleges. Um, but they get to pick their path, and we're able to just fund that for them. We raise $16.4 million a year just for the dogs to go and save lives. It's, it was no better, no better mission, no better purpose, in my opinion. I do want to go back to, you guys both kind of touched on the point of having to put on a mask and have a facade up because that's what's expected of you, kind of what you have to do in your career. Can you speak on the relief and peace of mind that having a dog like that, a confidant, 
a partner where you can be vulnerable like that, the kind of peace of mind that that gives you? There's, there's a sweet spot about being to say, I can be me with my service dog. And that's just not when I'm with my service dog. When I'm out and we're in, in, in public and we're, we're out places and people come to walk up and they just today in the airport, can I pet your dog? No. But I, I, old me, I think I said this in the airport. Yeah. We were walking from getting breakfast at the airport and these people just stopped dead in front of us in the middle of the walkway for no reason. Old me, oh, command hand is out. You're getting cussed, slapped, silly. But I just walked around. And as soon as we, we linked back up, I said, man, that's growth. And it's because of my service dog. That trigger that would have normally happened for me is not there. It's, he's able to feel it in the leash and pull me in another direction. He's able to, you know, when he when he, he can tell when I'm in pain, he's able to hop up and end that. So that way I don't have to, to be, you know, fighting a war internally. I'm still fighting that war, but I'm winning the war and the war is not beating me. Does that make sense? One of the things that we that I like to say now is, you know, I live with PTSD. PTSD doesn't run me. Um, my service dogs made it possible that it's 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 a journey every day together as a team, and he's the second one. Our dogs are only getting better, so that means it's only going to get better when it comes to to the, to the product. I, I've been telling Morgan for the last few weeks he is in for a treat. Um, we both have older model dogs. Now we're both going to have newer model dogs. Uh, so we went from, you know, we went from a Pinto to Cadillacs. Uh, our dogs, our retired dogs are great. We both have retirees. Uh, but this new generation of dogs, man, it's, it's, they're going to make it possible for so many veterans to take off the mask and be who they are as an individual. And that is game changing. Um, it, it's, it just means the world. You know, having uh, basically two careers, uh, Air Force, highly sensitive, and uh, airline career, I was not in careers where emotions were allowed. They were actually, um, essentially, uh, if you did start showing those, you got removed from your job. And it was so ingrained in me and so part of my daily activity that I didn't even feel emotions. Uh, first responder days where you're holding somebody that takes their last breath. And then getting phone calls from the family saying, did you do everything? You know, and uh, at the time I was just very stoic, very stoic and would just put it all behind me, pack it away. It was almost like taking all those emotions and putting them in a box, shove them up underneath your bed and never let them out. Well, it wasn't until I started dealing with chronic pain that all those emotions started coming to the surface and I didn't know what to do with them. I spent 42 years of my life without feeling anything. And when I got my dog, it was like, all of a sudden, I was given permission as a guy to cry and just to bury my head, you know, in his shoulder and let him lick me all over the place and just tell me it's all right. You know, it's that uh, it's almost really the first um, and don't let my wife hear this, but it's <laughs> the first uh, real true example of unconditional love no conditions that dog no matter what you do is just gonna love you love you love you 
And that allows me now to live authentically as who I am and who I feel. And if I break down, I break down. I'm not going to hide it anymore. I'm not going to pack it away because uh, when you pack it away, at some point you have to unpack it. At some point, there are consequences for packing it away for too long. And so I, I reach out to all the veterans out there. And if you're, if you're at that point, just, you know, give us a call. Let us, let us talk you through it, man, because it's okay to let it all out. It's okay to feel those things from what we went through. And having a dog there that just gives you that permission all the time. At 3 o'clock in the morning, he's right there. At, uh, you know, middle in the afternoon, hey, let's go take a nap. That's a great idea, dog. You know, <laughs> I like that. Let's go do that, you know. And, and they kind of set the tone, set the pace. You know, I always had this mission pace before, walk real fast. And then I got the service dog from Southeastern Guide that I swear to God has the slowest pace in the world. And at first it drove me nuts. I was like, oh, my God, I'm never going to get through the grocery store. But then I was like, wait a minute. I think he's on to something, man. I can, I can actually look around. I can, you know, take a deep breath. This is great. And it's like all of a sudden I could just feel this, this life coming back inside of me that I don't think I ever felt in my life. It's amazing. Yeah, it's probably a big life-changing moment when you realize you can take a step back and take those deep breaths and really take in the world for what it is instead of, you know, even like the grocery store, you know. If you take a list in and you're not, that's it. You're getting your list. You're in and out five minutes where with, like you said, as your dog, he's like, Hey, slow down. What about that bag of chips? You know, that kind of thing. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's, it's real. Forgot the creamer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's also gotta be nice to not always be the one like making the decision. Like you can let your dog kind of take the lead and take control and you can sit and stroll back. And kind of take a load off for a little bit, which we really, I think, as, as men in general, don't really get a whole lot of chances to do, especially, you know, with your guys' background and your careers. Well, it's, it, I've gotten to the point, uh, and, and I guess this is our way to steer, to steer this to cigars. Uh, I've, I've gotten to the point where I've gotten clear enough at home where he and I can just go out back. We can light a J.C. Newman cigar, shameless plug. Um <laughs> <laughs> and relax and time stops it's just me and him maybe a gator um just sitting out back peace of mind he's clearing his thoughts i'm clearing my thoughts and it's just relaxation um that is it's it's a perfect combination cigars and service dogs you can't go wrong uh, because it's it one's helping me when and he's helping me and, and it's a perfect pairing Absolutely. Yep. I, I love my uh, brick house, Mighty Mighty Maduros. Absolute favorite every day. Bought a whole box today. Hey, there's a great raffle going on for a really nice humidor, and if you get the box, you get six tickets. Not shameless at all. Uh, <laughs> go big or go home. Yeah. Austin is a big fan of Maduros himself, and he does like the brick house. Well, Newman in general. Yeah. But it's funny you oh, mentioned yeah. that because we talked about before. There is something so therapeutic about a good cigar. Oh, yeah. You know, and I have almost no stress in my life, thank yeah. God, right? But to be able to sit down for an hour and a half or two and just relax with a good stick, I think it's really beneficial for everybody's mental health. It is. It is. It, it just allows, you know, I 
even today, I run myself ragged. Uh, at work, they often ask me, well, when do you sleep? I say, well, I, I use Bobby Newman's line. I can sleep when I'm dead. Um, but time stops as soon as I light a cigar. I have my bourbon, I have my cigar, my service dog, and my lanai. Nobody bothers me. My kids know, stay away. It's dad's time. You know, moms get time. We get time too. Uh, and that's our, that's my time. It's just the world stops for 30 minutes. It's 30 minutes just to enjoy a stick. It's beautiful. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have anything else you want to share? Do you want to? Well, I was going to say, I think that's a great transition into how you guys first got in touch with the Ohio Cigar Mafia. So the Ohio Cigar Mafia was, they, was, was, it was, Call something else before. We're not even going to name that name. Uh, yeah, that's um, that sh- who shall not be that, spoken. Yes, we'll call them Spawn. Um, <laughs> but these guys have fallen in love with Southeastern Guide Dogs. I first met uh, the OCM. It's been almost two years now um, that I've been working with, uh, with, with the OCM and helping create the opportunity for um, this team to change lives by themselves. Literally, our CEO asked me the other day, what's, you know, what's their goal this year? And I told him, you know, the goal for the, the six events this year. Now, keep in mind, six events from one organization. I said, it's over $100,000. That's the goal. Whether it's 100000 to one or a million dollars, that's the goal. But the long-term goal is $1 million a year. That's my, our CEO, Titus Herman, had to take a step back. He said, whoa, wait a minute. Because when this first started, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was $4,000 the first year was raised. $2,000 was raised the first year. Last year, at the same event that we'll be at tomorrow, we raised $25,000 at one event. At one event. We're already well on the way to doing something incredible this year. And I don't, I'm not going to spoil it. you got to come out and, and see as one of the events to see what's really happening. But we are working together, and, and it's really really impactful because we're in ohio southeastern guide dogs is in florida the love and the passion for the mission to save our veterans lives through these dogs i i give no better example than the ohio cigar mafia yeah, we've been involved with them for what like a year now give or take uh getting up there yeah because there's all kinds of cigar clubs out there right and they have their they have their role they're fun but to see a club that has a a clear purpose to actually make a difference like this because everybody has first responders, military, and their family if they haven't served themselves. So it, that drew us in right away. And to actually see the impact that we make, and then tomorrow get to see it in person, get to see it right now with Nick and you guys, that, that really goes a long way. And it's great to be a part of an actual cause like that that can make an actual impact. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And, you know, we've even, you know, we bounce a lot of ideas off. Uh, I, I talk to, to Wolfie almost every day. Uh, and we bounce a lot of different ideas. And this year, we've got some stuff lined up at, at some of these six events that has not been seen up here before from Southeastern Guide Dogs. So for the listeners out there, if you can get to one of these events that the Ohio Cigar Mafia is putting on this year, there's one every month all the way through September, you're going to want to be there because you're going to see something special. And, and, and I'll tell you, one of them is going to be a demo of what our dogs can do from one of our world-class instructors. Um, so grab a ticket, get the information, let's make it happen. Yeah, and reach out to us. We will obviously be able to feed you whatever information you need. Um, 
And the other thing about the OCM specifically is it, they almost make it impossible not to contri- contribute because they all our contributions come from raffles or yep. and you know that has benefit to you yeah. as a person like for me or Austin or you if you get in on the raffles yeah. like you have the opportunity to win some serious stuff yeah that's true and speaking of raffles oh wait no I won't say that one you gotta come to the <laughs> events to find out there's but some really cool raffles happening this certain year certain things too. we can't give out all the fun info on the show yeah, they, make show it, they make it almost impossible to just sit back and be just a photo op cigar member yeah you're right it's 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 amazing to see the passion for the mission to the point that if you're not active, you don't need to be part of it because right. this is for people who are act, active duty only. If you're yeah, not gonna get, if you're not gonna get your feet wet and go head first, go to the other people. Yeah, you can't just like you can you obviously you start you just dip your toes in, but it's almost like dipping your toes in a black hole. Yeah, because it just sucks you in. Oh, that's good. The, that's uh, good. That's, good. That's, that's, that's a one-liner right there. That's yeah, good. The, 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 the prizes, and there's always like six or seven winners, Yep. and it's all high-dollar bourbon or amazing packs of cigars. Uh, we have cigar companies that are partnering with the OCM, yep. and all kinds of people just reaching out to give us or donate mm-hmm. for us to donate to you. It's It's... it's it's amazing the quality of you know no one there's there's not been a raffle yet that I've been like eh, I'm good on that one like every raffle's been like dang I gotta spend some, I need to get some extra money to put in on this because yeah. this is dope uh, but I'm I'm telling you and this is the second time I'm saying you know we heard and in the military and the school if you hear something multiple times you're, you're gonna want to pay attention <laughs> to it there is some raffles coming this year that you're gonna want to be a part of even if it's a listener. Don't miss out. And once again, Cam, um, how high the percentage of our donations go to the guide dogs? I believe 100%. 100%. 100. 100.00. And again, Brian and John, they make the raffles so affordable. They adjust the prices. And so there's really no excuse not to have. I mean, I think the last raffle was like five bucks. Five bucks. It was. There's no excuse not to be able to spare at least one $5 bill. You got one in your laundry. You know, and I think one of the other things that I love about the OCM is when it, it's a true family. Because, say, you know, Morgan and I are both in the, in, in the club and something happens and we're down on our luck. We're, we're having a rough time. The club has our back no matter what. The club will band together to make sure you're going to have food on your table, you're going to have clothes on your back, you're going to have a roof over your head, your family's going to be taken care of no matter what the situation is. That's a family, and that's what OCM is, man. It's really, really cool to see. That's just something that's so rare in this world, you know, when everybody's polarized and going in different directions to see the the good. I, I heard it recently, um, you know, you walk into a bookstore and there's this huge self-help section. But where's the help others section? Mm. We're totally missing it in society right now. And these guys up here in Ohio are just opening the doors, opening their arms and saying, just spend some time with us, light up a cigar, sit back and relax. And Sean, that kind of ties in. Could you repeat your little motto you said earlier, where if you can, you know, save one life, how it eventually goes to the whole world? Yeah. So if if, if you can save a life, if you can save and change a life, you can affect change in a family. 
you can make change in a family, you can affect change in your community. If you can affect change in your community, you can change and save the world. At Southeastern Guide Dogs, we're saving the world one dog at a time. I think that wraps it up here, guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we really appreciate you guys obviously coming out and sitting down with us to do this. And two very amazing stories. And like you said, you guys deal with similar symptoms, but your stories are so drastically different. And at the end of the day, the one common denominator is the guide dog. And it puts you guys in a place where you can feel human. So it's it's really amazing what you guys are doing in Florida and just the impact of the dogs themselves. Well, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I can't thank you enough for coming out and being vulnerable and telling your stories. I think it's very important to get these stories out there because there might be veterans out there that don't know a dog is an option for them. Mm-hmm. And they can hear that through right. you guys, through any route out there. That's that's our whole goal. And it's free. Right, and totally free. Totally free. And, uh, you know, we're talking about the gold standard. These are like $50,000 dogs by the time training's all done with them for two years. So uh, it's an incredible gift. Incredible gift. Nick, any final words? <laughs> I think he's good to go. <laughs> awesome. Take us out of here, Cam. All righty, guys. Well, thank you again for tuning in to this special episode of Sports and Stogies. And you know what we always say, S&S to the moon. moon.